disruption and change is the reason the fintech and insurtech industry exists at all. Because as our society changes, so must the financial infrastructure that greases the wheel of commerce change. And today's guest is a perfect example of disruptive insurtech and fintech solutions that serve our modern changing world. Welcome to the Talent Equals podcast. I'm your host, William Leitonen. Today's guest is the co-founder and president, Dustin Wolsey, from the exciting and fast-growing fintech, Buckle. Buckle served the gig economy through insurance and financial products that are hyper-tailored for their community. And for this reason, they're a great case study for us here on the Talent Equals podcast. So because we can explore how they're building a community how they're creating a financial ecosystem and the importance of company values in great recruitment. Dustin is a wonderful guest and what they are building at Buckle has purpose and value. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and as learn as much as I did through the conversation. So without further ado, I give you Dustin Wolsey. Dustin. Welcome to the Talent Equals podcast. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you for having me, William. Wonderful. Well, hey, Dustin, I've been super looking forward to getting you on the show to talk about Buckle because, you know, I think all of those who are around the insurtech space have been observing Buckle and Buckle's progression over the five years that you've been established and hit a milestone recently of getting your Series B for 60 million. So congratulations on that and uh, the progress towards that. So I thought really just sort of kick it off for, for the community, people who don't know who Buckle is, um, just tell us a bit about, you know, the origin story and, you know, what Buckle is and how you came to it. Yeah, again, thank you for having me, William. Um, first of all, Buckle is a, a financial services platform uh, really focused on people in the gig economy. We're really doing great things uh, for the people that support the world that that we live in. You know, th- the story of Buckle has has evolved, and it's a really great story. Whereas it started in, for you know, simplicity's sake, as insurance for basic Uber drivers, has evolved into insurance for everybody that is participating in the gig economy. And the gig economy has exploded uh, over the last few years, uh, not just for moving people around, but goods, services, food, packages, prescriptions, you kind of name it. Where Buckle has really evolved is to help these people buy and acquire the financial services that they need that's customized, tailored for them, both in form of coverages, pricing, um, and in, in a way where they can consume these services when, how, and where they need it. Because the gig economy is this emerging workforce, um, not just in the United States, but across the world that is is changing the way the world operates. So uh, what's so exciting in, uh, about Buckle is that we're sitting right in the middle of the gig economy trying to help these people who support the world that we live in. Mm. So that's a quick interesting to- Buckle. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Let's Good. dig into that a little yeah, bit, right? Because it's an interesting, it's an interesting distinction you make between being a insurer and being a financial services organization. Because that was your origin story, very much that you you come from insurance yourself, background, right? That's how you sort of came to the idea. If I'm if I'm right, that you sort of you you were in the um, broking space yourself. Maybe just tell us a bit about that initial idea and how it has gone from insurance to financial services. Yeah. So in 2008, I got in the insurance industry on the brokerage side. Still to this day, uh, spend a lot of time focusing on brokerage um, from a prior life. But what ended up happening is I started insuring uh, taxis and limousines in Atlanta, Georgia. One day out of nowhere, all of a sudden, some younger friends of ours are like, hey, you got to check out this thing called Uber. And to remind everybody in the uh, early 2010s-ish, Uh, Uber started out as a black car service where you would use this app and a limousine or black car would come pick you up and, uh, Mm. you know, to replace taxi services that were in the United States. Uh, So what I figured out is, wait a minute, if I can use this app and get in the back of an Uber and hail these drivers, I could actually sell them insurance while I'm talking to them and they can actually make some money while they're driving around. And that became the idea of, of selling, you know, black cars, you know, insurance to these drivers. Well, anyways, I started, you know, insuring most of the Ubers in, in the state of Georgia and they showed up one day and said, Uber, the guys from Uber, hey, we're going to start allowing this product called UberX where people can use their personal autos to 
move people around the same way a black car works. And that's where the idea of buckle started because in the insurance industry, and it truly exists in the financial services industry as well, when people use a personal auto policy uh, to do business, there is coverage gaps. And that became glaringly apparent. And as a broker by you know, background, a salesman by background, I didn't have an insurance policy that I could truly sell these drivers that would cover the use of a personal car while doing business at, for Uber. And mm. that's where the idea buckle came from is there was this gap that these drivers had that this personal auto policy wasn't providing the proper coverage to these drivers that were driving people around. So mm. in roughly 2016, I reached out to my my partner, co-founder, good friend, Marty Young, and uh, it, technically 2017, we started uh, what would become Buckle today as the original thesis of, you know, insurance for Uber drivers. That's really how simply it was, um, hmm. you know, kind of giving you a background of how we evolved. Fast forward, you know, today, so COVID hits and people stop moving around. And again, we're, you know, insurance for Uber drivers and Lyft drivers now because it lifts now a big player mm. and we're totally panicking and you know the world's stopping we make some hard decisions but what ends up happening with COVID is it actually turned out to accelerate the gig economy it accelerated what Buckle has become because while people stopped moving around goods and services became the the, the focus of being delivered to our households so all of a sudden, groceries are being delivered. Prescription drugs are being delivered. Um, your basic household goods, toilet paper, toothpaste are being delivered. And there is all of a sudden this explosion in the gig economy of people delivering goods and services. Now the world starts waking back up again. Uber and Lyft start taking off. Now we ha our habits have changed. And now we're using and subscribing to all these services that are delivering all these household items, these various items to our home, not just myself, but people like my parents now have had their habits changed and they're consuming differently. And what turned out to be the scariest time in, in my professional career around Buckle, because we had this incredible company that we had built, COVID hits, it actually became one of the, the great uh, evolution points because the gig economy became mainstream in the world that we live in today. So, uh, you know, so Buckle has gone from, you know, just, you know, insurance for Uber Lyft drivers, but to everybody who participates. And in the United States, it is a huge percent of the population that is actually delivering goods and services um, today that we're, we're helping these mm. drivers. Yeah. I, what I hear in that certainly is like you, you started with this premise that was quite niche in and around a new and emerging piece of technology and community of, of workers. Um, but as that, that niche and that new economy has developed, so have you guys had to develop, right? And it's, I suppose, the, the, the fascinating thing being in and around new businesses, you would have started as an insure tech, right? But thinking about how you deliver to them in a way that they need. And you've often talked about a community. So this is kind of my convoluted link here is that you, throughout your you know, your material and buckle, the way that you talked about, you sort of about serving your community, serving your customers and, and this community of drivers that you have. So it, has that been the way, how, how important has it been for you to focus on the needs of your customers in terms of and then the evolution and how you react to that? So tell me a bit about that. You know, it, we've always been focused on, you know, a mission driven company. But I think what I personally learned, I'm, I'm probably talking safely for Marty on this and most people in the company. Um, so, so COVID hits and all of a sudden it's this workforce, the gig economy, who is supporting the world that we live in today. They're the ones that are on the front lines fighting the war against COVID. I, I mean, it's also the cashiers, the, this, the people stocking the shelves at the local drugstores and the grocery stores. I, I'm not discounting them by any means. But all of a sudden, this whole entire workforce is, is, is out there, you know, supporting our society as we have the luxury of, of working from home, you know, being more secluded than most. And this is the workforce. And it gave me this greater appreciation. It gave us a greater appreciation that this, this is bigger than just 
in insurance and credit and some of the things we can talk about later. But this is this is the society mm-hmm. that I want to be a part of that helps these people who are helping us that support the world we live in, right? And these are these are people that are on the front lines in a war, and it's the war of this pandemic and COVID. So the I, I gained a true deep appreciation for what these people are doing. They're working. They're 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 supporting our world. And that that really um, that really became a, a mission, a, 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 a driving force that further that took further root in, in in Buckle as we really try to advocate for our people. I mean, on a side note, you know, mm-hmm. as just as services, we were helping the, our drivers apply for government programs that they were available and things just because we, that's that's what we we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it became a really awesome awesome experience. And really, you know, every time I can help these drivers, it, 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 it builds the community and, you know, it's, it's, in, it's important stuff. Yeah. I think, I don't know about, about you, but I, well, I hope you do. And I can maybe see this, that the drivers that you support, they're all like little independent businesses, aren't they? They're not like part of a big conglomerate generally. These are like individual gig economy people hustling for their family, making ends meet, trying to build something for the future. Because a lot of drivers that you meet are either immigrants or people first time coming to the country, whatever they're in. And certainly so many of the Uber drivers I've met, or of course they're they're not, they've been in the country a long time, but they're trying to build and create a a foundation for their family. So how much of that do you identify with as well as an entrepreneur, someone who's run their own businesses and, and does that light you up as well? These are people that also have full-time jobs, right? They might work at an Amazon warehouse. They might work at a restaurant and they're doing this, these gigs part-time to supplement an income, right? It's helping, maybe it's pay for Mm -hmm. a vacation. Maybe it's help paying for school. It's helping paying, you know, for student, you know, their kids to have, you know, something, you know, play in a sports league or whatever. So, so the, the, the workforce is is incredible. Now, as an entrepreneur, which I fundamentally fundamentally am at the core, um, you know, you read all these niches that these people figure out how to to really maximize their time, their assets to generate additional income, whether it's figuring out how to do something really unique for, you know, DoorDash or Grubhub or how they find a niche within Uber and Lyft or some of these task rabbits who are deploying their services. So it's a really it's it's a really awesome awesome way for people to to leverage their time, their skill sets, um, and things that th- they they can do to 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 better their lives, right? So where Buckle mm. kind of fits in is well, how do we give them the tools in the in whether it's insurance we'll talk about credit later if you'd like as well but give them the tools that they can also yes, please, yeah. you know take advantage of their their ability to to save money and have the right coverages and things that they need because they're doing things that uh you know 15 years ago 10 years ago we never thought would ever be you know in existence hmm. So okay, let's. We will, I do want to yeah. touch on credit because I think the credit's really interesting offering you guys have developed, um, which comes really to speak to the full sort of financial services platform ecosystem that you guys are are creating. But like in terms of the why don't I as a you know a, a gig economy driver working on the weekend just go and use a big auto insurer? Why, why don't I? Why am I coming to Buckle? What is the technology or the solution that you're offering that makes it unique? Why do you exist in that way? I mean, there, there's a lot to that question. First of all. We we built this whole thing with the gig worker in mind, uh, even though we started with Uber and Lyft and then it's evolved into all these other pieces. It's always with this gig worker. Um, so we understand uh, their demographics, how they like their buying behaviors. We understand that they typically don't have high credit scores. And we built this whole platform with that in mind from the beginning. When you look at like the traditional insurers in North America, you know, they're all, there's a few of them. There's not, you know, hundreds of them. Um, They tend to rely on things like credit score, uh, very traditional underwriting metrics that a lot of these drivers, you know, don't necessarily have. So for example, if I take credit and I'll use the word credit in form of leasing vehicles, right? Banks are great when you show up with two years of a W-2 income and a credit score and they can underwrite it. But what happens when a a driver shows up with a, they are a barista at Starbucks. So they have a W-2. They're using that. They have benefits from there. They might have 
a 1099 from DoorDash, a 1099 from Lyft, a printout from Grubhub, and all these other small income sources. And then they go to a bank and a banker's like, I don't know what to do with this because they're just not traditional. Mm-hmm. And when we built out Buckle, it's understanding that these people are not traditional and there's all these other data sources and income sources that need to be captured in these people's lives because they're real and they're material. And um, mm. so when you look at the traditional banks, the traditional insurers, they're just not designed that way. They're, you know, old legacy systems, credit driven, very traditional, um, you know, things like I said, I mentioned a second ago, W2. And that just gives us this great advantage to be nimble, um, unique and the, and the likes. So hearing that, sort of capturing the information that matters to your customers so you can then in turn offer them a set of solutions which actually deliver for what they need in the flexible way that they need them. And so I find that cool. So you've gone from like your being able to offer an actual insurance policy which covers them properly doing this work, which isn't just like a private auto cover, to then also thinking about, well, these these drivers need a vehicle right so you then had this innovation to sort of evolve the product offering there around credit so just talk to us a bit about how buckle does that when you have a poor credit score you pay you know two three time you know 20 30 percent in interest rate on in many of these states because you have no credit so you're overpaying on your interest rate you tend to pay more for your sticker price on these b lots so they're already being penalized uh in the form of their their lower credit scores, their behaviors in the actual purchase of their car. So they're paying more for the actual car. They're paying more for the interest rate to finance that car. So we address that through uh, the way we underwrite and doing some things like that to really lower that. So we're able to help them save them money. But the other thing that's interesting, the other phenomena that we've noticed happening is people are either A, upgrading their cars, right? So they're getting safer cars. So it helps the entire ecosystem. A newer car tends to be safer, whether it's, you know, backup cams and airbags and and just generally safer. The other thing that we're starting to see is they're upgrading to different sizes of the cars. So in the Uber and Lyft world, they're going from call it, you know, mid-sized cars into minivans. So now they can drive not just, you know, um, you know, a three passengers, they can drive up to four or five, six passengers, and that allows, allows them to earn more money. When you look at in the delivery space, bigger cars are allowed them to take bigger shifts for the delivery of packages, right? An SUV can deliver more than a, a midsize as well. So the whole ecosystem actually gets better, not only uh, from a, uh, saving the money, but the cars are better for the drivers, they're better for the passengers, they're better for the consumers. So it's it's a really uh, great place to be in. Mm. And you guys are then enabling them to get a better um, loan or a way to That's access correct. finance for those vehicles because you have a richer data source of their their background, their income streams, the the way that they behave. Yeah, how, what's the sort of, how are you approaching the underwriting process for that? Yeah, result? I mean, today you have to be uh, an insured driver uh, by buckle. So we have to be able to, to see some of your data, right? And uh, so we, we look at all of your, you know, kind of driving and your earnings and where it's coming from and how and where you're driving and some other data sets to, to really to really drive into that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not that, you know, anybody can come lease a car. We, we, we have a, a very membership focused uh, philosophy. Actually, we call our customers members, right? So when you get your your membership, or when you buy something for us, we, we try to, you know, leverage that data to continue to offer you better, cheaper, more affordable, mm-hmm. targeted products and services that that's really driven towards that. So the first thing, you know, our, our entry to this, this gig economy is the insurance product. Um, and everybody, you know, it's, it's a needed item, you know, in the United States, it's, you know, insurance is required by law. And then, uh, but typically we move into the vehicle space as well. Uh, what's, what's great about this, this whole thing is for most of these people, their car is their most important asset to be protected. A, it, it has value. Uh, B, it's also their revenue source, right? They'd use it to generate revenue. So if we can help this group build equity faster in their vehicles, um, they achieve greater economic freedom. And it's, you know, that's really what our vision is, is to help people achieve economic freedom. And, um, Mm. you know, uh, saving 50 bucks a month, saving, you know, on an insurance policy or saving, you know, $100 a month on a a lease 
is is a real number and can represent 10, 15% of one of some of these drivers take home pay. So it, it makes a difference. And it, it's, it's, it's awesome when we can do that for these drivers. And, uh, you know, we see it when, you know, our customers, our members talk about us in Facebook groups. We see it when they talk to our member services team. That's our agents that, that deal with these customers. We, we get a lot of referrals and word of mouth because this is, this is what we're, we're about. So uh, it, it, mm. it's great. It's, it's great. This members distinction is something interesting. So you're saying that you're you're focusing on those members, which also gives them a sense of inclusion and a membership as part of your community as well. And you know what? I, I really appreciate this this focus on community and it and not not just because, well, one, it is important. I mean, let, let's let's not like beat around the bush, like from a economic and you know business standpoint, commercial standpoint, having a a group of customers who think of themselves as more than just customers, they think of themselves as members, as part of a community, it means there's more loyalty. There's more, there's probably a, more, a greater stickiness to them within, within the organization. But I think when you, when you think about it as a, your own organization, as in you know, Buckle, when, when there is a, a focus on delivering and, and there is a set of values which speak to we are delivering for a membership community. They are part of our business. We are part of a community with them. I think that can also help to drive some better behaviors as well. So there's like that, that virtuous circle, right, of doing something for people in the right way, which actually also translates into commercial success. Um, is that also how you see it? I, I presume so. If you say no, we're, we're, we're pretty much screwed here. So yeah, no, don't let me down. Let you now, down. Uh, that's an easy way to cue it up. You know, without a doubt, I, I think <laughs> membership in general um, is a greater sense of community. And if we can help this greater gain this greater sense of community, it does drive better behaviors um, because the whole community wins when the community behaves better. So if, if I'm able to help a driver get a lower rate on insurance or, or, or vehicles, and that can, that, you know, virtuous circle continues to spin, I can continue to offer it versus the reverse is when there is mm. lack of membership or community, it, I, I believe over time will drive prices higher and higher and higher because there is, um, there, there, there's just, there, there's no loyalty both to a brand an idea, a philosophy. And I think USAA has done an incredible job with that. And I'm sure we can go over other companies. Now, I think it also applies internally as um, we deal with our customer base or our members as well, whether it's our claims team, our member services team, whoever's talking to these customers. It, it, there's just this other sense that we're kind of all in this together. We really understand what you're dealing with. So when you get into an accident, we understand how important that car is. And if we can get that claim processed, for example, two days faster, a day faster, and get the car back on the road or get the right replacement car that allows them to continue earning and to continue to get back to their normal lives, it really, really makes a difference. So it, it also mm. creates, I, I don't want to say a sense of urgency, but a, a sense of of, of loyalty back to the customers that we we have to continue to perform at the highest standard because if you're going to be a member of our world we've got to also support that in the best way possible so how do we do we give that experience back that creates this you know bi-directional members protect us we protect our members you know philosophy yeah. because if if not it's just a transaction and we're trying to be more than just a transaction Right. I can go buy insurance on, you know, whoever.com. I can go to a dealership and buy a car. There is no loyalty there. How do we build this loyalty that protects the entire ecosystem? Because the ecosystem is 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 just incredibly powerful. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I think the word protection there is really, really important because my own experience of financial services is that it's very transactional. <laughs> it's very much at like my bank, even though I've been with them for 15 years, I don't really know them. They don't really know me. Um, you know, do I feel like they got my back? No, I think I'm just a, a cog in, you know, a single entity within a massive machine. But I can imagine with gig workers, by the nature of what you're doing as a gig worker, you're on your own to a degree. You're on your own serving, you know, have the freedom to operate, which is wonderful, but knowing that maybe you've got somebody behind you, an organization that's actually look, trying to look after you when, when the shit goes down, then that's great. Because I certainly know from my experience recently when, when my health insurance didn't work out very well, like my, my wife got ill, she had a head injury. 
And when it came to like being served by our insurer, it was terrible. And people listen to the show when I bang on about this, but it was true. And I did not feel like they had my back. I felt like it was, they were just trying to protect their balance sheet. And that has led me to be like, well, now I need a different insurer. I need someone who's going to protect me and the financial institution is going to protect me in a different way. So I love that. And I think the nice thing that we're we're finally really starting to see is also the the delivery and you know the the, the TNCs DNCs the companies the dispatching of whether it's food they're really starting to care about this workforce. Uh, you're starting to see it in mm-hmm. programs that they're trying to offer their drivers benefits that they're trying to get to their drivers. They're partnering with us to try to help you know get this type of insurance to their drivers, um, and it, and it, it's real and. Um, and I, 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 I think, you know, as time passes on, this, this membership base, this group of drivers is, is, is going to help the whole thing. Do you typically find that a driver is um, working for multiple firms, like a, a, an Uber and a Deliveroo or a sort of a Just Eat? Or- like if you think of it in a, in a couple of ways, right? Like I typically order my meals around traditional meal times, right? breakfast, lunch, dinner. Mm. So there's a segment of drivers that, you know, work that segment, but Hey, after I've delivered, you know, lunch for call it DoorDash or Grubhub, I need to go deliver packages or groceries for Amazon or Instacart. So I'll work for them, you know, during off hours. Um, it's actually funny, you know, I think extroverts tend to do Uber and Lyft introverts tend to do more food and, you know, package delivery because they don't talk. Um, so we see different behaviors of different people. It's, it's fascinating. I'm, I, you know, it's funny. My wife, my wife hates when we get into uh, an Uber or a Lyft because, I mean, I am just, you know, a, chatting up the driver, figuring out what's going on because they just, they just see the world differently and they see all the, the stories. I mean, yeah, it's hey, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm smiling at that, Justin, because, you know, I'm, I think of myself as an entrepreneur and I'm always fascinated by different mid- – and I generally always talk to, you know, like a, a taxi driver or an Uber guy sort of like that, and I want to know what they're doing. Like, how is business? Not just because – it's a you know a bit of a cliche that question. I genuinely want to know how they're doing it. To a lot of listeners that are in the UK, if they live in London, you know where the United States is different, and this I think is a really important distinction. Outside of call it Manhattan, mm. you know San Francisco, you know our our, our country is really spread out, right? So they're not like full time drivers all over the place like they are in the big big cities that ex- exist in the states. So these drivers are doing all sorts of different things. It would blow your mind how often I hear you know someone's handing mm. me a business card for do you know they do real estate or they they, they they're doing all sorts of things. And they're just using this to supplement time, supplement income. Um, so when you break that paradigm outside of the mm-hmm. big cities where the most of the driver force in the United States is, and they're all mainly part-time drivers, I think the stats, you know, you know low 90s are part-time drivers. It's, it's fascinating all wow. the things that they do uh, on, on uh, as additional hustles. And this is just a piece of it. Some, you know, meeting customers, all sorts of things. So it's, it's really mm-hmm. awesome. But again, my wife, can't stand it because <laughs> we're usually going we're usually well, going out to dinner well, how, or something how, where she's happy not to be with the kids right and we're taking <laughs> a, a ride and she wants me to pay 100 attention to her and i've got to interview the driver and uh <laughs> yeah i know that that one i'm sure our, our wives would see eye to eye on that one <laughs> certainly um but what, what an exciting opportunity as an investor in buckle to say the potentiality to serve a customer a member in so many different ways right so like this is this is really exciting how you can go from being just an insurer to being a financial services platform, right? And that's how you can start laying or in lay, layering in so many different things. Maybe at this moment actually be a nice time to sort of just just to sort of switch gears a little bit and just talk about um the journey. Because I think a lot of the people who listen to Talent Equals are in are in the industry, are founders themselves, or investors, or people who've been through the journey themselves. And you mentioned earlier, look, you've been around for five years and any business that's been around what either for a long time or short time has recently had to go through quite a big change of the market. So I sort of wanted to sort of, it hasn't always been easy for you guys either, right? Because you've just experienced COVID. So maybe you could just sort of explain to me a bit about what it was like during that period to have everything transformed and how, you know, you have approached like organizing Buckle in a way that has allowed you to ride out and survive and come out the other side like you have now and take your B funding and, and, to go again. So tell us about that. You know, so so pre-COVID was an exciting time. It's an exciting time still at Buckle, but it was an exciting time. We were launching uh, our products. We had launched our first state, getting getting ready to, you know, you know, be this exploding, you know, startup at the time. Um, 
And uh, there was just a lot of excitement and energy. Actually, we have it again here today. But so COVID hits and um, we really have to make some really hard decisions. And um, and the decisions of, you know, how do we reduce our workforce? We make some hard decisions to a you know, protect the company, both to our investors, as well as our uh, employees, to our members who are customers who've already bought insurance from us. So it was a really tough time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would tell you, I, I really appreciate my, my co-founder, Marty, who really, you know, looked at and understood what was going on and really focused on making decisions uh, hard decisions based on you know factual data, accurate data, based on really strong values that we both share, and um, we're able to 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 really go through that. But I mean, you know, when you start a company in the really really early days, when you're five people, nine people, and we're all sharing an office, uh, these these people are not really colleagues; they become friends, they become family, and. Um, mm. It, 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 it's heartbreaking to, to have to, to, to you know, lay off people or, or reduce people's salary. Um, but we really focus just on honesty um, with, with people to do it. Um, again, like it, it's, it's not fun. It was, it was some of the worst conversations I've had just because, you know, when, when, when people like go to battle with you, I mean, they go to battle and, you know, they work, 100 hour 120 hour weeks they go they travel they don't see their family and you know to get through that uh really is a, is a test of character it's a testament to the people that that are still with us and and the people and our investors that still believed in us but so we, we go through you know covid and you know in the, the beginning you call it whatever 2020 it was a scary kind of you know 30, 60 days. And then the next thing you know, all of a sudden deliveries there and we start, you know, reinventing ourselves a little and realizing it's actually, you know, delivering packages isn't that far off from delivering people. And, um, and then next thing you know, we start getting a little more momentum and a mo- more momentum. And all of a sudden we're starting to sell more policies and, and then, and then it starts picking up. And then now it kind of fast forward today and it's, 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 you know, crazy, you know, explosive growth again, rolling out various states, trying to get more delivery partners on board and the, the excitement and energy is back. Um, but I, I think it, it's, it's built on, you know, strong people, shared values, shared vision uh, to make this all to, this, mm-hmm. to make this all work. But yeah, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough. But as you know, as an entrepreneur, I mean, that's part of it. That's part of it. You know, every day can't be yeah. a great day. But uh, I, 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 I hope I never have to do that again. Let's let's say it. <laughs> again, it's 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 I mean, Marty and I run this company very much like they're you know, friends and family along the way. So it's hard when you have to, to have those conversations. But, you know, we, we really focus on just being honest and and and, and truthful with people. And I, I, th- I think that's what that's what people want. I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. Right. And that's I think that's the sign. I think that's the sign of a great company. Listen, everybody. William, everybody's at a company to make money, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's be honest. We'd I'd rather be playing golf. I'd rather be sitting on the beach somewhere. But what makes companies special is the people and the values and, and the mission that that's out there. And I, I think we, we really check those boxes incredibly well. And um, it, it's a it's a high bar to work at Buckle these days. Um, so I, I hear I hear a few things in that, like the. So many co-founders, and I've had many founders on the show, and they'll often always, you know, talk about the reality of being um, an entrepreneur, a founder of a business is that, you know, you can be up in the morning and then want to shoot yourself in the face in the afternoon. It's a, an incredibly difficult sort of um, tempestuous environment to be in, but you've got to keep focusing on the, I, I've heard this continually, it's got to keep focusing on your values on on the mission that you have and the values that you have to guide you through all of these these problems and invariably that also means having a really great management team around you or a team of colleagues and friends that you can help you through that so i can hear that it must have been really difficult to cut the workforce and then grow back but so i would like to come to that in a moment but maybe just focus on like the relationship with your co-founder because um like 
what have you learned about having a co-founder? Was it easy? Like, is it, ha- is it easy having a co-founder? Is it difficult? How did you come to work with Marty? What, what's in that mu- sort of magic between the two of you? I mean, like any relationship, it's nothing is comes easy, right? And uh, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, you make deposits and withdrawals in, in a bank, you make deposits and withdrawals within people, mm. right? And that's from what seven habits of highly successful people. Um, you know, I've, I've had the, the luxury or the fortune to to know Marty for you know, 20 plus years. Uh, we did a startup years ago uh, together, stayed friends. I mean, I was in his wedding, at his wedding, he was at mine. So having a, a really, really long-term relationship to start before we started Buckle, I think was a huge advantage. Um, I, I just, I knew him and his personal values and what he stood for. So I didn't have to ever question that. And I, I can't stress how powerful that is. And that, that, I mean, that applies to a marriage. Um, it applies to co-founders. It applies to friends and all the likes. So I think having that foundation of years and years of going through life together was, was absolutely mm-hmm. critical. Um, it is awesome to be able to have someone that I can truly talk to. I can confide in that what I'm concerned about or what I'm thinking about, what I need help on, what I may or may not be doing wrong. And I would say he'd say vice versa. To have someone in that position um, is, is tremendous. You know, I would say the vast majority of our conversations aren't necessarily work driven, right? It's about, you know, what we're trying to it's not operationally driven. It's like, hey, if we do this, how will the world look at that? And and ha- having someone that you can have that conversation with versus being all alone by myself, I, I would never do it. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting if if you ever get a chance to meet Marty and I. Um, we're very different people. Uh, we're very yin and yang. But one thing that we do not have any yin and yang about. We have extremely, extremely shared common values. And I think that's what drives it from family, integrity, humility, those things um, allows us to work. And I think co-founders fall down when that doesn't exist between the two of them. And um, just like, just like any marriage, you know, there is, there is no person I trust morally, you know, integrity than Marty, Marty Young. And, it, and, and it's a testament from his upbringing, from his parents serving in the military. He's a chaplain in the military still to this day in the reserve. And um, it, it, it just makes it work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's that, I mean, but I'll tell you as an entrepreneur as well, on the total uh, kind of opposite side of the spectrum, it's my family and my wife at home that are able to help me get through it as well, because those sleepless nights, it, it wears on them. It's not just the business that feels it. It's the home life, right? Um, it's, you know, missing dinners because I'm dealing with something or coming home and I'm just like stressed out and, and having that support system is, is so critical as well. Mm. And I, I, I wouldn't discount that. So, uh, a co-founder, though, is is incredible. If you have the same, this you can have the, you can have different you can have the same vision, but you have to have the same mm-hmm. values. If you have different values, it will not work. And I'm I'm convinced of it, and I've seen it because going through you know the hard times. It's it's easy in the good times. It's just easy in the good times. It's it's those hard conversations that hurt, but when they come from shared values. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've identified it's you've identified there. three there. I mean, you said integrity and humility, and you said family. Are those are those like the the ones, um, particularly inte- integrity and humility, and um, or are there any others that you particularly identify as being you know critical to that that relationship and being valuable in business generally? I mean, you know, integrity and honesty for me is is trustworthiness. I mean, they're 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 there. You know, it, it's it's hard to put words on a a shared valued relationship because it, it's deeper than five values, right? It's, it's, it's family, it's friendship, it's trust. It's, 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 it's laughter, right? It's, it's being able to, to have that type of relationship based on common values. So, you know, we've definitely instilled, you know, some core values within the company that I think are, are identical to what him and I share. Um, but there's, 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 
there, there's deeper value, you know, values and relationship that Marty and I have built over the years through, you know, raising children, you know, starting companies together, mm-hmm. being on airplanes for, you know, hours and, you know, bootstrapping a company and, you know, all, all those things. So it's, uh, it's, it's great. But uh, again, I, I, I bet if you were to look at, and I, I wouldn't know, but if you were to look at companies that failed that had co-founders, it's, they didn't have common values. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you touched on it briefly that, I mean, anybody who listens to this show knows that I am a massive advocate of value-based um, recruitment and the values that underpin organizations. And so far in every, you know, meaningful founder I've spoken to and organization, there's always been a, you know, whether or not it's been explicit or implicit that there are um, values that underpin that journey that they're taking. Um, and so I'm, I was interested to hear them. But, but William, to interrupt you for mm-hmm. a second. You don't know someone's values though until you see it when you're until you're in a hard spot, and and that's 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 uh, I mean everybody's got again it's easy when it's successful and to see someone's values and to see that you're aligned with the values when at the toughest times the darkest times that's that's what values show and I and I, I, yeah I I would argue that's what it's yeah, about. yeah I mean I I think we're probably coming up from the same degree I think actually one of those keywords we use is integrity. Um, like mm-hmm. in, integrity of you know what you say, do, and, and think all align. That's integrity, right? Is the ability to you know to to say you're going to do something, actually do it, and be thinking you want to do it as well. Um, it's so I I hear it's important that we actually act with faith and, and sort of um, and honesty because that builds trust and trust builds the community and the community is what ultimately all of this like kind of falls down on right can i trust you to get on with your job and do you trust me to be you know fair and equitable in that in that arrangement so i suppose um but it's i can understand the the, the importance of having values as a guiding light to the organization as well like so I, I i wonder from you you talked about having them as an organization do you have any explicit values that you can share with us that are ones that you think you know really point to what buckle is about so it's it, yeah absolutely so we break values in our, at buckle into into two buckets core values and cultural values mm. so our core values are unwavering i mean if you break one of these values you can't work at buckle any longer and that's just the way it goes trustworthy trustworthiness honesty and integrity they're they're pillars and there is no exception. If again you break it, I'm, I'm sorry. It's it's it, you just can't be part of this company. We have cultural values: uh, be a driver, be reliable, be empathetic, be brilliant, be joyful. Um, that help drive the organization to to be better, to be fun, to do great things. Um, but cultural values aren't you know, your job's on the line if you break one. Like, you don't have to be joyful to be great. But we, we try to encourage it because, like, listen, if you don't love what you do and if you're not happy working here, you're 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 not in the right place, right? And, like, if you're not reliable, if I can't count on you, like, come on. So, you know, but the the, the core values are the pillars of our organization. And I, I don't care if we were a financial services industry or uh, you name it, whatever. I, those are those are so critical. Mm. So Very cool. I, I, that, that's how we approached it a little differently. Um, you know, I think, you know, we spend a lot of time. I've been on every, you know, companies, you know, what are your values? You can Google all the companies and most of them live for list four or five. And, you know, they're very, you know, they're awesome, but we kind of broke it into two buckets because we think there are, there's, there's some room in some cultural values, but there are no room. There is no room. There is no interpretation in core mm. values. Mm. Yeah, I I um I hear that. Thank you for sharing those. And I that's an interesting thing for me to hear that um the way that you kind of broke them apart um into those kind of core and cultural values. And I think they are very organizational organizationally specific because they ultimately have to come from the founders and then become a representation of the community. But I think certainly that you've got them. That's the important first thing. Anybody who's listening to this, I know I've spoke to some founders like I know I need them, but I haven't kind of like I haven't conceptualized and communicated them clearly enough. I mean, what I'd say to that is at least start with something, right? And they can evolve, but but knowing that you've got some and that people know what they are is a, a good place to go. So no matter what meeting we have, and maybe not one-on-ones, but if we have a, a uh, you know, every other Tuesday we have the whole, uh, all hands, whether it's uh, an, our operational committee, all these various committees, we always kick off every single meeting with vision, mission, and values, where someone has to present on that before we start the meeting mm-hmm. on 
what they did during it could, it could have been interacting with a customer it could have been interacting with a vendor it could have been act, interacting with another you know fellow employee whatever it is and we we drive mission vision values on every internal call regardless and we kick them off that way sometimes it's a 30 40 second anecdote sometimes it's a five minute seven minute story and it's the first slide on every deck that we use on all internal meetings because it is it is a foundational pillar of our company and it's uh, it really it's it's awesome, and you get you know all walks of of the business. So we'll have someone from tech do it. We'll have someone from underwriting to do it. We'll have someone from claims. We'll have once well on the executive team, and um, it, it, it's amazing how uh, and what gets shared and how they align with our values. So I mean, I we live it in our meetings, and and we because of that, I think it translates extremely well on a day-to-day basis throughout the entire organization. Yeah, I was going to ask, why is that important? What, what have you found it does for, for the people and the organization to share those examples? Well, I think, first of all, it brings everybody back to a common starting point on why are we here, yeah. right? I mean, why is Buckle? So if we, if we start every meeting with why in, in a real-world example of how we live it, I think it, it creates a great you know, common denominator. And uh, it reinforces, you know, what's important to the company from someone that's not me, right? It's, mm-hmm. it could be anybody in the organization and it, and the, the batons pass, the hats passed around and it get, it's, it's someone different every single time. Mm. Yeah. I, I super like that. I've never been in a, you know, I've never seen anything like it and it's, it's, it's integrated now in, in core to our culture. Mm. It's actually become, you know, part of their culture. Yeah. That's interesting. I really like that. And it's kind of like a micro micro action, which is easy to take, but reinforces a sort of a, a macro behavior as well for the organization. It's interesting, right? Mm. It's like, I want to hear what, and, and it, you know, I think more so than ever, since we're really distributed, it's, it's just sharing a world world experience that I would have never heard about because we don't share an office. I don't get to have that coffee conversation. Mm. So it, it, it brings some reality to a, a group that's, you know, there's roughly, a, there's over a hundred of us that are distributed all over the country. Great link for me, because I wanted to talk about this a little bit because um, distributed has distributed working was just such an obscure like kind of specific kind of cultural affect of organizations that um before covid was just like you go what the hell are they doing they're doing that really that never worked but you guys so how did distributed working happen for you and like what's been your experience of it so far well uh, you know obviously from covid that that drove it we all we all used to be really consolidated in one main office two main offices yeah. Personally, being a, a mega extrovert that I am, I I don't personally love it. I've learned to 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 really be good at it. But uh, I mean, I I love the interaction with people. Um, but we've we've completely embraced it, and it kind of feels like the gig economy, right? Everybody kind of works from everywhere they want, and and how to do it. Um, I I think the big challenge is how do you continue to build this this great team, foundation, culture, values in a distributed force because Everything becomes very Zoom-driven, Google Hangout-driven, um, and you lose that the side talk, the quick let's go run you know across the street and grab a sandwich or a cup of coffee or a beer. That that interaction is uh, is lost. You know, we we continue to do a better job of trying to get everybody. You know, ex- you know at least the senior leadership team, the executive leadership team, out in the road meeting people, trying to get you know our cus- our I'm sorry our, our members. Um, as frequently as possible. And we spend a little more probably on offsites that we should as we pull everybody together. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's, you know, it's probably, you know, still ROI, very positive for the office space that we don't use, but it's, it's building that team. Mm-hmm. I, I will tell you when we, when we all get together, it, it tends to be a lot of fun. People like to let loose because we work together so closely and never get to see each other. Mm-hmm. So there tends to be uh, late nights uh, when, when we have some of these offsites. So it's, uh, it, it, but it's, it's, but it's hard, but yeah. I, I think in general, people like it. I, I think people, um, again, like, just like, you know, my parents now use, you know, Instacart and DoorDash, we've all learned our new mm-hmm. habits and how to deal with it. Um, have you felt that, but there's, I miss the office. Yeah. I'm an office I, guy. Hey, look, I, I, it's a balance for me too. I mean, we've, we went distributed as well because we just physically couldn't be together. Um, and it has worked for us as a team, but I'm experiencing some of the the same experiences that you have where it's actually really lovely when we see each other and I was able to give you know some of the team a hug. And, you know, I'm also a people person as well. And um, But on the same time, it, it, it works for people. So it's that kind of balance. I, I wonder for you, have you seen any like, dip in productivity? Was that one of your worries? Like, oh no, people aren't going to be as good at doing their job or how have you 
What are some of the conceptions that you had in your mind that you that you've been surprised at? Yeah, I, I think today that we we haven't seen it right. Being more on the early stage company, you know, we're you know roughly a hundred you know hundred people working at Buckle. We, we're we've only hired you know ninjas, so you know <laughs> I, we we really don't. I don't have that worry. I don't think we have that worry now. As we go from one hundred to two fifty to five hundred, I think that becomes a little more challenging because you know infrastructure, bureaucracy, that starts getting built out. And um, I think some of those are the challenges that we're going to continue to invest in. I think there's some innovation and investing in tools that create community amongst the distributed workforce. Um, You know, very similar to what social media has done for our our kids and the people who love it. Like, how do we embrace some of those internally? Um, You know, personally, uh, I spend a lot of time working on strategic partnerships. I, I still believe you know, face to face is is the most powerful thing to build relationships. So, you know, I try to get on the road a lot, uh, whether it's to see, you know, our 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 customers, our partners, uh, our employees as well. So um I think the bigger challenge will be in uh in the next year to two years as we continue to scale. Um I imagine we'll more evolve into a hybrid model where we'll have a couple big, you know, a hub or two or three. Um that uh, has has people in place because as our stuff and our services evolve and get more complicated mm. training becomes really challenging um getting people up to speed you know in a remote force it, it's 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 very difficult i think it's harder to ask questions um in 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 this format versus like i can go up to the teacher right after you know a uh, a class or i can go after who you know someone in the in the company and hey can you explain that in detail is i think that's going to be the real challenge you know distance learning's been around forever but we still send our kids to school right and i mean in in america i assume the uk as well you know last year when they were all virtual it was just a a, a failure and they're all back mm-hmm. in school and i think i think you know we we've there's there's a model where both of that has mm-hmm. to occur within buckle and in the corporate but um yeah i found i found all, all yeah. always real a real a real issue i i was actually i found in my own experience of the i mean on the point of like education and the distributed working you know, I, I kind of, I looked at my, my, I have three children and my eldest son is at a school where they were already using Microsoft Teams extensively. And for him, yep. the transition was almost seamless, like to going from classroom to, to, to computer. And he loved it. The system was very much set up. The, the teachers were geared up for it. But I also recognize it was part of his personality that he was very comfortable with that. You know, he's very comfortable doing his own work and being a self-starter. Uh, for my younger ones, they struggled more with that. You know, they do like the social energy of people and being around and the structure that comes with the classroom. And I think also the primary school was far less prepared for, um, which is the kindergarten, far far less prepared for yep. the actual distance learning structure. You know, you can imagine it. It was just very, very difficult. So I think there's 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 a mix of really kind of both, you know, the preparedness of the organization, the structures that exist, and also then the personality types of the people. So it's really hard I know to say either way, but, um, and it's certainly something I'm hearing organizations are adapting and maybe we're just all recognizing that we don't have to be one or the other. We can be a mix of two. Right. And that's, you know, uh, I think there's, there's, there's a spectrum to learning, right? The, like, and I, I look at it through the kit, my eyes, the, the eyes of my kids, right? A 16 year old and a 14 year old. So they were a little younger a year, 18 months ago with COVID, but I see it at Buckle. The early stuff, right. The kindergarten, the formative years, it's hard to learn virtually, mm. right? The advanced stuff, calculus and those sort of things, the hard stuff at Buckles, hard to learn virtually. I think some of the middle stuff, the, the you know, I guess here, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, it, 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 that's, I think there's, I think that that's where the hybrid exists. Mm. I think in the middle, uh, there's the, a virtual fit for it. But on the, on each end of it all, I think that's where the challenges become. Because when my kids were showing up with, cal- I can't do calculus anymore, but I, I can do algebra, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So virtual could work, I, but I can't teach my kid to read like cat, dog, whatever, you know, that, so some, I think that's where the hybrid has to, to exist. But I, I do think, you know, yeah, that's why we're opening some offices now and, and, and pulling people together more and more because the data, the information, data, knowledge exchange, it, it's real in person and it's different and it's, and it's a side conversation. It's a meal, you know, something over a meal that it just can't be replicated yeah. virtually. It just can't. And if anything about your business model, with Buckle has told us and told yourself is that things change, things evolve, things become not what we expected them to be. And we have to adapt and uh, grow in different yeah. ways, right? 
yeah, and I want your radical idea. And sometimes I need to get a beer to get you to tell it to me because <laughs> it, it might be a bad idea. It might be a great idea, but I don't get, I don't get to hear it. Right? Yeah, yeah, By yeah. not getting to hear it, I also don't get to learn from you. And, and then that sparks some idea for mm. me, which then, you know, and next thing you know, you have, you know, a new product or a new innovation. I, I can only imagine how much, you know, how many companies or how many pivots have occurred because of just some random conversation that turned into, wow, that's it. Right. It's an iteration yeah. on a, an iteration and an iteration of a, a PowerPoint that the next thing you know, it's a new business plan. So what we are talking about definitely is a lot of disruption to the market, a lot of change to your business model, which then you have to react to and then regrow from um, new business way of working, you know, serving different customers, stress and strain and all of what happened over the last you know couple of years. I, I wonder like that brings me to like how you keep yourself healthy, Dustin, because, um, you know, I ask everyone this as well. Like, you know, it's, it's hard just being in a company anyway, it's really hard being a founder. So yeah, what do you do to stay healthy? Right, well, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm a bit of a health nut. So uh, I, I work out five, typically five, sometimes six days a week. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, I've, I've, I, I, I think it's, I think it's critically important. A, uh, just being healthy in general. It's nice just having a break. Um, I'm a big avid Pelotoner right now okay. uh, for the last couple of years. Love that. Uh, I like to go for a run. I have a trainer come by, you know, working out still as I, as I get older, trying to, to stay in shape. Uh, I think diet is, is so critical as well. We are what we eat. So I, I, I invest uh, a lot of time and energy in, into that. Um, so for those of uh, listeners who may not know, can you just tell them what Peloton is? And um, yeah, oh, how- yeah, well, they're in the UK now. I know that they are a bunch yeah. of Peloton Absolutely. in Germany as well. Yeah. It is, uh, it is a, a bike that is uh, like a spin class in your house with an incredible screen and audio and you take, you know, spin classes. Yeah, at, at, home. at home, at home, absolutely. And you, at so home. yeah, so those are known. It's like you got a screen and it streams in different lessons, and you can you can use them. I to mean, do- but now you can do yoga on it. You can do weight training. You can go running. They have treadmills. It's a whole lifestyle mm. um, that exists. And and I I I'd actually personally believe to be uh, in good shape. It, it's a lifestyle. It's not an on or an off. So it's an everything. People who uh, when I travel, I'm always working out. I love actually going on a walk with people that I work with and we have a conversation over an hour walk somewhere in the morning before our meetings start. So, so very, very focused on that. Um, from my mental health, uh, I, I love to play golf. So I, I, I like I like to get out there with my friends, be outside, enjoy the nice weather, get away from the world, try to turn my phone off when I play. Um, but the, again, it, you know, as as someone who was uh, always, you know, an entrepreneur, always trying to achieve something, golf's a great game because it gives me a challenge that's outside of the workforce that, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, I spend a lot of time doing. I like to practice as well. And then uh, chasing after my children tends, tends to be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I can hear that. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, that physicality, I can, I can really understand it, particularly for someone who's energetic and doing exercise. It's one of those things that I know when it slips for me, which it does and, and did a bit during uh, um, COVID certainly as well, is that, you know. What's it, your number one exercise thing? My, my number one exercise thing actually, honestly, is going for a walk and just being outside walking and um, like kind of, and, and I'll also do um, exercise in my house. So doing yoga and pull-ups and uh, sort of a small exercise regime that I have. And I try and keep it as micro as I can so that the, so that the behavior can stick. So I have a pull-up bar. When you walk, do you listen to something or are you yeah, quiet I, or what? Yeah, I, I do too. So yeah, meditation for me is also a really big thing. So I'll um, I'll mindfully meditate and walk. So that's a, a new thing you can do definitely. Um, I use walking also as a way to pass my, to sort of pass ideas that I'm working on. If I'll do it with a friend and I will talk to them through a process while I'm walking. There's just something magical and there's actually some really, really interesting science that underpins the process of walking and how that, um, that how apparently we exert multiple forces of G through our feet, which pushes blood actively up through the body and into the brain. And the rhythm of a walk seems to have a perfect rhythmical match to um, our, our heart and our blood flow, which they've only just started to understand. So there is a, a real science going on with the power of walking and a cognitive capability that's happening. So, so I uh, use- piggy, yeah. pig, Piggyback on that. So I yeah. like to walk as well. And I either do listen to podcasts 
mm-hmm. or I'll listen to my audiobooks. But what I have found is when I walk and then I listen to everything at two times speed, not one time speed, two times speed, that it's like watching a movie in subtitles. Like if you lose concentration for a second, you mm-hmm. lose what's being spoken about or read about or or the likes. So I find that I can consume tons of awesome information and get really, really focused on whatever topic I am listening to while I'm on a walk versus if I'm like just sitting there, like, like I I can't focus unless I'm I'm on the move. So I I consume a lot of data on walks. I like that. I like that. I've never tried a um, a two times speed. I know actually, I know um, one of our previous guests, actually, when she came on, she told me that she likes to listen to all audio books at like two and a half times speed. I don't, but I'm going to have to try that now and see if I can focus on it during the... So, so my start at one and a half. One and a half, you'll be like, no big deal. Then you go to one, seven, five, two. But I'm, I kid you not, you stop paying attention for two seconds. Data and the, the talk is going so fast that you have to back up. I find mm. I pay extreme attention to it when it's going mm. on and I love it. And you also mentioned you get a coach to come to your house as well. Does that yeah. right? So you, you pay for a coach to come in and how yes. often do you do that? That's something I've uh, actually thought about. Is that a, a regular behavior? Twice a week. Twice, Twice a week. week. Yes. Absolutely. And what, what, what sort of coaches are they like just a health and fitness or? Yeah. Health and fitness, you know, a personal trainer, but you know, I have one that really focuses heavily on core work and, you know, you know, body weight movement and things like that, stretching and, and the likes. Cause I think it's, it's so critical. And, and being, I'm about to turn 47, you know, staying as, as fit as possible is, is, I, I think <laughs> it's, it's critical. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's the best thing you can do to live a long time is to be in shape. Mm. Yeah. Many people wouldn't think to have a coach come to their house. Um, they would think that maybe they go to a gym or something like that, but that's actually a really nice way to think about it. Like you have a health tutor, right? Someone who's who's focusing on, you know, coming in twice a week, it gives you a nice anchor point as well, right? I can imagine. Yeah, you know, and it, they become also more than just a physical coach. They become somewhat of a therapist because you've known them for years. And, it, you know, when you're training with someone, you're talking and, you know, you know, what's going on in the world or what's going on in sports or what's going on in your family because you build these relationships and, and it's great. And, uh, you know, uh, Quincy, who I use, I mean, he's the most fit gentleman I know. And it's all about what you're, you know, talking about diet and other things that we're listening to. And, you know, like I listened to a podcast recently on longevity and how important grip strength is. And we're talking about that and all, just all the randomness that comes with being, uh, you know, trying to be physically fit. Hmm. I may ask, and just to to, to brief on this, how did you find your coach? How did you find your health and fitness coach? <laughs> I um, I was working out at a, at a gym probably 10 years ago and uh, I met him there and he oh, was cool. training people there at the gym. And then I'm like, Hey, do you, I, will you come to my house? And, uh, and that's how we started. Brilliant. Lovely. But I, I, I love it. I love it. And I think it's some of the, you know, the money most well spent. And then it, it, what ends up happening is when it's at your house, your children see it and they see the importance of physical fitness in their lives. And it, and it, it really rolls on to them as well. And uh, so my wife stays in shape. My kids are active. And I think it's, it's, it's so critical. Mm, wonderful. What a great piece of advice there. So um, there's a couple of things I certainly will, will dig into a little bit more myself. Um, so I, I'm mindful of time here, and I, I always like to make sure I ask my guests about my favorite thing, which is books and 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 like books that have influenced you. So um, do you have three books that you love more that really you either repeat back to or that have guided you on the, your journey you want to share with us? Um, so, yeah, I thought about that, and I was going to add another one last night when I was watching something on television. So <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite business book is uh, Good to Great. Uh, by yeah, Jim cool. Collins. Classic. Uh, I think there's, I think there's some just really awesome, awesome items in that book that just are, are, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. You know, is the right team on the bus? Are they in the right seats? That one. So I love that. Um, I just recently read, I, I cheated. I listened cause I now I listened to everything. Killer Angels, uh, by Michael Sirot. Uh, the whole company just recently, uh, the executive team and the senior leadership team went to uh, Gettysburg to study the Battle of Gettysburg and and what was happening on the battlefield from both communication, feedback, those sort of things, and how that applies to the real business world. And that book was just incredible. Um, it's a historical fiction uh, about the Battle of Gettysburg and what was going on there in, in a fascinating time in the United States history. So that one was great. I, I do. I'm a big golfer. I mentioned uh, Zen golf. I love uh, you mentioned you're a yoga uh, fan and a meditation fan um, by Joseph Parent. 
it, it, it really, it's the mental game of golf. And then I, I apply it to other things. And, it, and it's crazy. It's like, how do you listen to the birds chirp when you're trying to make a putt that alleviates pressure and stress at moments in time? And what other outside influences are going on that can allow you to focus more so on the, the, the task at hand? Um, so those were the three that I had, I, I, I I'd laid down. And then I was, uh, I was watching an interview yesterday cause I'm a big golf fan, as you know, and Tiger Woods, uh, uh, is finally kind of back in the media and coming back. And I think a fabulous book is the big miss by, by Hank Haney and, uh, Tiger Woods as a golfer is a, it's a, it's a fabulous book. And the big so, miss is about Tiger Woods. Is that right? It's, 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 it's the story. Hank Haney is the, was his coach for years when he won you know a bunch of you know massive titles and majors and the likes and it's and it's the story of coaching arguably the greatest athlete to ever live and what his perspective of what it was like and how that athlete behaved and had to be to be as great as he was and i i i think it's one of the most fascinating books i've ever read oh, but again yes. i'm a big golfer i'm a big tiger woods yeah. fan Sounds good. There's some good recommendations in there. I mean, Jim Collins' Good to Great is an absolutely seminal book and so much in there. It's, it's an absolute must. And Killer Angels about Gettysburg, Zen Golf. Um, there's one I think such as Zen Art of Tennis is another one I've read. Which is same sort of same author. Is it the same author? Oh, he, okay. actually started, he actually started in tennis because he was a tennis guy. And then yeah. he's like, this will apply to golf. And he took it to golf. Yes. I, I think actually it's very much a good recommendation because I... I, I've actually applied it to so many parts of my life, actually, that that whole that whole concept. So yes, I can thoroughly recommend it. And the big miss, anything that's got some good coaches talking about, you know, managing um high performers, I'm also it's a bit like catnip for me. So wonderful. Thank you very much for those recommendations. Well, Dustin, it's been a an absolute pleasure um, you know, hearing about your story and what you guys are doing with Buckle. Um, anybody out there listening, you know, I always like to end up with this. It's like anybody listening who um, might be able to help you or like sort of partnerships that you're looking for investors. Is there anyone like things that you're interested in people reaching out to you about? Um, I always like to kind of end up with that one. Yeah. I mean, our, our gravity is in the middle of the gig economy. So very interested in talking to other people, businesses that are either trying to participate introduce products and services into to the gig economy, specifically to the United States right now and for, for the foreseeable future. And understanding what these these people need, want, and they that that are underserved and how how we can, you know, do better by them. So, you know, again, how do we offer really good financial services to these members to make their lives a little easier? So I would say those are, you know, the the, the real focus. Um, Brilliant. And, uh, you know, obviously you can find us at buckleup.com and, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the, the usual places. Brilliant. I was just about to ask. We'll put some show notes, links in the show notes, sorry, to your, your social media tags and such like. So, well, that neatly brings us to the end. Dustin, thank you so much again for your time. I wish you and the whole member group at Buckle Up to as much success as you can, you can muster. And um, yeah, let's hope this uh, crazy ass COVID stays the hell away um, and we can keep growing and, and doing some good stuff. Until then. Well, thank you for having me and had a, a wonderful time and uh, look forward to meeting you in person when uh, we can come to the UK one of these days. You better believe it. Wonderful. Take care, Dustin. Bye-bye. Thank you. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. We also have a newsletter on our website, talentequals.com. So you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.